Um, let's see, let me see. Okay, so we're recording. Um, and I am, if you're okay with it, I'm going to introduce you. Okay. okay. There's kind of a thing going on with work and I just uh, needed to respond to a text that I got. All right, cool. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> so this is Hollis Mickey. She's the Chief Learning and Access Officer at the Anchorage Museum. Um, short of a sort of a short summary of her job description is um, leading the education department at the Anchorage Museum and overseeing um, things there, learning resources, curating shows and such, and we'll go over more of her current projects. Um, her qualifications for this role is 10 years of museum and cultural work experience, leadership of professional teams, skilled grant writer with a 75% positive return rate, um, award-winning teacher resources, print publications, digital platforms, and albums. She is passionate about providing access and opportunities to diversity of learners of all ages and backgrounds, and committed to fostering interdisciplinary partnerships, connecting organizations, communities, and individuals. Um, so hopefully you feel like that's kind of scratches the surface of everything that you do. I know it's a lot. Um, and so I wanted to just kind of talk about um, the projects that you're working on right now and the digital um, aspect that's in your role. And so I know that you just released a new um, project, the Listen Up Northern Soundscapes, which is an exhibition um, with the work of 10 sound artists and musicians from the North. Um, if you just wanted to start by kind of explaining your current project right now. Yeah, I can talk about that project. Um, in many ways, it feels like that one's kind of done and dusted because the exhibition is open. Mm -hmm. um, there are a few remaining programs and things like that that are more on my plate, um, but the content of the exhibition is already created and, and available to the public, both digitally and then in the gallery space of the museum. Of course, the museum experience is quite different. You know, there are immersive um, sonic listening zones um, throughout the museum. So uh, in one gallery space, the fourth floor, of the entire fourth floor of the museum, but also intervening um, in a constant real um, sound related films in the auditorium um, of the museum as well as in gallery interventions throughout. Um, most of the, uh, or many of the audio components of the exhibition um, are available online. So you can listen to the sound art created by the sound artists and responses to the soundscapes um, that they were given, which were um, really the impetus for the show is an ongoing soundscape ecology project that the museum is engaged in at five school sites throughout the um, state of Alaska. And um, we're working to gather sound data from those sites with K through 12 classrooms. Um, and then actually this kind of points out maybe a, what is actually, you know, my next meeting after this is another current project, which is to build a digital library for all of that audio data um, that will be accessible to educators, um, artists, uh, community members, scientists, um, which is a really big project because we've been recording continuously for three years. Um, and then we'll also, that sound library can also hold, you know, artist responses, some of these creative works that come out of um, the sound samples, as well as lesson plans and activities for educators, um, for learners of all ages, um, as well as 
fun learning engagement for at-home learners who may or may not be engaged in a formal learning environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another kind of current project that follows Listen Up. Listen Up also has um, a, uh, a component that um, includes uh, a, re- a digital release of audio um, and this, um, this digital release uh, includes the, all the sound works by the artists. Um, it's a digital download that has a physical form. So it looks like a cassette. Um, so that's a kind of digital into the physical um, mm-hmm. project that we have currently going um, that's also related to Listen Up. Um, I can certainly talk more about the origin of Listen Up, or I don't know if it's more useful for me to talk about other digital related projects that I have right now. So I think um, moving in from, so the reason I wanted to touch on the Northern Soundscapes is because I'm familiar with it um, because I was kind of around whenever you were developing that. Um, But also Soundscapes and Sound Ecology is still a pretty new idea I feel like Mm -hmm. um and I know that you are touching a lot of things that are new in that area um but you said something that we've really hit on um in this class and in this project is um the fine line between digital and analog Mm -hmm. and creating digital content in the pandemic while also um having analog aspects that you can build on whenever things open again, or people can feel included in the museum while not actually being there. Um, So maybe you can uh, just touch on ways that you feel that you've hit the digital and the analog. I think I wrote a question. Um, Do you feel most of your products have, projects have become digital or have you added an analog aspect to them? I would say um, we really tried to cross that line in, in the education department. So during the pandemic, we've created um, a lot of um, uh, material, educational materials for K through 12 students um, that encourage hands-on learning and multimodal learning, right? So they are um, lesson plans that equip teachers um, or, or um, guides for parents, um, mm-hmm to encourage hands-on making that is screen free, um, but you get the, the information from a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also developed, we have um, both last summer and this summer, we are doing virtual summer camps. So um, campers receive a kit in the mail of all sorts of really fabulous mm-hmm. hands-on and um, have a short Zoom meeting with museum educators and then are on their own to spend time at their own pace making. Um, And this has been a format that we've done for adult workshops as well throughout the pandemic. Um, And this has been really interesting because now we find ourselves shipping kits all over the state um, and even outside of Alaska. And so that's really exciting because our reach um, has really grown. Um, though maybe sometimes our numbers are different or smaller, like maybe our network is bigger. So it's an interesting balance. I think as we return to a lot more um, desire for in-person programming, it will be an interesting balance to consider how we continue some of this digital work alongside um, reinvigorating our in-person programming because we don't have, you know, we can't suddenly staff up with more staff. We had a $4 million loss at the museum. So we won't really be hiring or um, looking to increase kind of staff capacity. So how will we um, kind of determine what sustainability looks like for us in this new landscape is an interesting 
um, is an interesting set of considerations. But I think it's really exciting. Um, you know, we've been able to have culture bearers and experts from all across the um, state and outside, uh, all across the circumpolar north, um, share their work online, and that's been really exciting. So I think there's some ways in which um, you know we're looking at how this model, and I, I use summer camp as an example, but we're doing this in all sorts of ways. Um, <laughs> You know, another example, if you look online, is our community supported education boxes, which is a sort of a riff on a CSA, like a, a, a farmer box that you would subscribe to. So you can subscribe to these yeah. boxes and get education kits. Um, you know, how do we, how we might continue something like that um, in conjunction with in-person classes. So it, you know, there's, there's lots of ways in which um, we're kind of considering this movement forward. We mm -hmm. made our, all of our school field trips um, virtual and we've been fully and like we've had to say no um, to educators who want to bring their students on virtual field trips. So that's been a big surprise to us. I think we didn't actually anticipate that. So similarly, we're kind of considering because we've also now been serving Canada and rural Alaska mm -hmm. with our virtual field trips. Like, will there be multiple days a week where we do just virtual field trips and some days a week we do in-person um, come fall? So that's sort of, you know, a variety of different considerations that we're thinking about. Um, mm -hmm. That's really exciting because um, you know, with my experience with the Anchorage Museum, it's, I've, I've been in a few different roles there and majority of it has been tourism and the like. Um, and I know that um, Julie Decker was wanting to add in more um, of an indigenous aspect and cultural diversity and um, those sorts of things. And I think that it's such a great opportunity um, that you guys got to sh like spread, you know, and extend your network to all of these different places, but especially the indigenous and rural areas that um, can now have access to not just like an educational resource pamphlet, but like an actual box or, yeah, you know, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's really awesome. Yeah. It's been great. I think, um, yeah, it's been, I also think for um, even some of our local educators, like having a virtual field trip is much easier for their class. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have the money for a bus or they can't take the time for, a, you know, the drive to the museum and back and lunch yeah. and all of those things. So I think um, that's been illuminating for, for us. Also, you know, we've been really working hard in this time, or my department's been working hard in this time to shift our focus um, towards some really deep partnerships as opposed to kind of generalized programming and thinking about how we can do some really focused work with specific audiences. Um, and that includes migrant education and refugee assistance and immigration services. And um, so actually right before this conversation, I was where I'm working on a grant for refugee assistance and immigration services that would sort of redirect the resources we put towards summer camps um, in some ways. I mean, there'll be some summer camp, public summer camp, but redirect some of the like, time and resources we put towards summer camp towards more focused work with um, refugees assistance and immigration services yeah. um, and providing programming multi-generational learning opportunities um, and leadership opportunities um, for new arrivals to Alaska and so that feels really exciting and one of the things that's been great about the pandemic is actually Ray's thought that um, their clients would have a really challenging time with digital learning but as it turned out in our summer camps uh, the client said this is way better than regular summer camp because we want to learn all as a family and adults want to participate 
participate and um, because uh, the adults that have come from these, you know, fled persecution and war, um, you know, haven't had the opportunity themselves to engage in some of these yeah. kinds of really unique and fun learning op opportunities. And they are curious, creative people too. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's been really helpful for us um, that to see that actually there aren't barriers there. So some different kinds of hybrid models around virtual and in-person learning might be really interesting to develop and create some best practice um, guidelines yeah. around. Um, so, you know, there's some, there's some really positive things that have come out of leaning into the digital, but it's definitely expanded all of our capacity. Like everyone on the team had to learn InDesign. Um, and, you know, uh, 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 I've had to learn InDesign. <laughs> um, in Photoshop and all of those things. But I, you know, I, I do think that, um, you know, it, and there are many ways in which we don't, we don't meet the need. Like I think video, we are not good. We're not ready to make videos yet. Um, and we re like really high quality videos. And so, you know, I think the pandemic has also showed up some areas um, that, you know, in the short term, I'm not sure we're going to be able to meet that need because we aren't going to be able to hire a video yeah. person. Because um, of the sustainability and the cut that you were talking about. For sure. So, so with that, what would you say, um, it seems like there's been positive aspects um, to kind of stretching your guys's um, reach. And also I know, um, or one thing I absolutely love about the Anchorage Museum is the, um, just keeping up with current events, like the immigration and, um, cultural. Today's a big day for that, by the way. I don't know if you've been seeing those updates, but yeah, today's yeah. a big day for immigration concerns. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, there has been so many things current mm -hmm. event wise that have been happening and, yeah. Um, in your role, what would you say the biggest challenge has been? Not even um, pandemic, you know, it could be pandemic wise, it could also be current events, but what would you say like the biggest undertaking has been digitally um, in your role? Well, I'm not sure if this qualifies, so you can tell me that I should talk about something else. Um, if, if it doesn't, but I think the biggest challenge for me personally has been um, moving management um, into a digital realm. So what does it mean to be a manager for people? That makes sense. Um, into, in a digital space. Um, and I have found it, um, the emotional labor is really different of uh, doing uh, management in tiny squares uh, than it is to do it in person. There are benefits to both um, ways of doing things. Um, but I would say that it has challenged me in uh, a lot of ways. All right, of course, the emotional labor of the past year. So what also is unique is I don't know what it would be like to manage someone digitally when there's not the pressure of a, a global pandemic. So I don't know kind of what I'm comparing to, but um, I do also think that um, most employees were thrust into a set of kind of um, communication frameworks that were different than any of us were used to yeah. uh, 
as well as um, new roles and responsibilities that maybe some of us actually really wanted, um, you know, we're really eager to do, but ha never had time to do. Um, and now we're in a very interesting situation in which everyone's kind of having to reconfront the aspects of their job that maybe they got to eliminate um, for a period of time and kind of have to pick them back up, um, which I think is also anxiety producing for many. Um, myself included. And, um, and, and, and I also just, you know, I think it's, it's, to me, that's the most challenging part. And it's, and that's harder to quantify, quantify than like a project, right? Because um, yeah. it's really a set of feelings. It's like, I'm trying to, I guess what I'm trying to say is like the hardest part of this shift into the digital realm is really the feeling part is really the emotional connection um, part yeah. and how to do that well and how to create a supportive environment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think certainly we could talk, for me, that's been the biggest challenge. Um, I feel like I've come to a place of at least adequacy with it with teaching. Um, it's not always perfect, but I do think there's some different pedagogical approaches I've had to take too um, in my teaching at the university and I teach a variety of other courses, but um, through my work. But I think uh, for me, the biggest challenge has really been that shift for um, management. Yeah, and with, I mean, I might be wrong, but I feel that with management through a digital platform, it is a huge, trust you know trusting that these people are going to do what they're supposed to do or um, do it to their best ability and I think that's a really big leap because you know before you may have been surrounded by these people for 40 hours a week and now you see them digitally for maybe an hour a day mm -hmm. and just kind of trusting that um, everyone's doing their part or their role would you say that? Um, I wouldn't say that's the hardest part. I actually really work with great people on my mm -hmm. team and I actually totally trust that they're doing their work. Um, I think the hardest part has been encountering crisis. Like actually, you know, right now I'm dealing with a very significant management thing. That's why I'm getting pinged during, you're hearing little popping sounds during our conversation. Um, and it's dealing with, uh, it's dealing with emotional challenges or crisis at work or big transitional dynamic change, mm -hmm. um, how to, which, which is hard to do in any circumstance, mm -hmm. um, but how make, how to make people feel supported and like I'm there for them, but also to create appropriate professional boundaries is a really mm -hmm. challenging mix, um, when you're in a digital space, because I think we are all used to a digital space with our friends and our families too, right? And so how to do that, but also um, so also sometimes to make the connection, right? Sometimes it's overly connective and sometimes I don't feel like the connection is made at all. Um, and so how does, um, how to balance that. So uh, in many ways, uh, I feel very lucky that trust is not actually the issue um, in my team. I think, I, I imagine many managers are dealing with that, but. Yeah. Uh, but you encompassed it really well saying, you know, yeah. feelings is. Yeah, it's feelings. It's, it's a really broad word, but I think that it touches, you yeah. know, everybody's oh. feeling something different and yeah. the same at the same time. Totally, yeah. Um, so going back to, your role and kind of the digital switch. Um, 
it doesn't even have to be the projects that we talked about, but is there anything that was your favorite this year? Um, a favorite project or um, you started working at the university as well. There's a lot of things under your belt right now. Yeah. So I teach at the university. I mean, that's, that gives me so much life. I teach um, the history of contemporary art and history of modern art. Um, and Which are the best classes. Yeah. Was really <laughs> so yeah it's, that's been really meaningful. And I feel like I've, you know, offered something to students or at least most students. And that's been really great. Um, I've also worked on um, some externally funded grant uh, or I, externally funded projects around um, older adult education, which I think, I can't remember if I was working on that when you were um, with the museum, but uh, so we teach uh, classes for adults 55 and older and they're eight weeks long. And that's been okay. really meaningful um, to be Yeah, so that's been really meaningful to be a part of as well. And um, I think very, connected for that audience, which has, you know, for, for longer than most of us been, you know, more fully sequestered. Um, so I think that, uh, and many of the, those folks here in Alaska have family outside who've moved outside of Alaska and haven't been here to visit. So I think that's been a really meaningful project as well. I think um, some of the more meaningful stuff I've done feels less, um, maybe it's like also less tangible. Like I write a lot of grants. So like getting money to fund uh, my department has felt meaningful to like be able to retain people. And um, you know, we the only position that we lost in my department was a position where we knew the employee was planning to leave the museum in May. And-, um, and That's incredible at, and not yeah. really the case. Yeah, so that was that was great. Um, we won't be hiring back for that position, uh, but the museum received a PPP loan, so we're able to at least retain everyone through the end of the year. Um, I think the challenges uh, of of kind of like looking for funding, making a case for why we do good work is always inspiring for me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also currently working on an exhibition that'll open next fall. So that's exciting or not next fall, this fall, 2021 fall. Um, so it's been really interesting for me to be engaged in more curatorial work, certainly something that I've done more independently, but not in the framework of the Anchorage Museum. So, so um, you're doing these, um, so teaching for the university and then the curatorial work and um, obviously the chief learning mm -hmm. officer, you're doing all of these virtually still, correct? Are you in person? No, I mean, I'm going, I, I go, we go into the museum, you know, like we can, it's not like off limits mm -hmm. or anything, but we can kind of go in as we need. Um, we're still encouraged to work from home and we have any meetings that are going to be longer than 15 minutes. Uh, okay virtually and then all of the uaa classes are still um virtual so there, there's plan for the fall we'll see but there's plan for the fall to have some in person i don't know that my classes will be that though because in the art department um i'm not really the class that needs to be in person right like ceramics needs to be in person yeah um <laughs> so I, I i understand if we're virtual and i feel pretty comfortable teaching virtually now and for some students it works better like some students that is actually a way that they seem to like the course mm -hmm. more I do polls with the students pretty regularly and you know about it's about half and half of the students in the of the 30 
they upped the enrollment. So there are 30 students in the class, which is a lot. That's a lot. Um, it's a lot of 10 page papers to grade. Um, but they, uh, they have about half and half, like want in person and or virtual, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And then like a third want asynchronous, you know, so they, they don't want to show up, right? They want to take it all as like, uh, not a conversation. So, it, you know, it's, there's lots of different ways of thinking about how this time has also shown up the variety of learning styles. Um, and, and that, you know, maybe it is beneficial for students to have some classes that are a different learning framework um, to give them a break too. So I, I'm open to, you know, what the, what ends up, ends up happening. Um, this yeah, fall. that's a really great point with the, I don't know why I hadn't really thought of that about just the different learning styles that K through 12 and even above K through 12 grad students are having to face, you know, yeah. if you are, I'm a virtual learner, but if I was, you know, an in-person learner having to zoom and do all of these things, kind of, I wonder what the rate of, um, hardship is for people, you know, struggling in learning settings. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting because they did a poll earlier with K through 12 families and I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what the demographics of the poll were, but you know, a third of those families said they'd they'd like to continue some form of virtual learning for their student indefinitely. Um, and so, you know, I think it's also interesting, right? Like, what is that? What is that about? Some of that's about like the ability of a parent or a guardian or a family member to support a young person in in their learning. Mm -hmm. Some of that's about, you know, with my UAA students, I know some of that's about like they have kids and childcare and jobs and other responsibilities. And it's really hard when they live, you know, 45 minutes away from the university and it's really hard for them to show up. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, but I don't think, I personally don't think that I, a lot of like a hybrid classroom works where you have um, some people who are learning virtually and some people who are learning in person at the same time. Like, I think that's not that creates hierarchies that I don't think are, is good for the learner. So um, yeah. I think it's better to have some classes that are one way and some classes that are another yeah. and allow students to maybe help shape their own learning pathways around that, um, especially adult students. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think also it's how to, how to look at the intersectionality of the hardship of learners over the past year with like all of the other pressures of like job loss, economic hardship, food insecurity um absolutely well, mental mental anxiety like mental um stress you know mm -hmm. uh even in very young children who may not even comprehend the pandemic but like certainly feel the pressure of this time so i you know i think there's so it's hard to know like what how to unpack all that. But I, I hope there are some big think takes somewhere that are, um, are doing different kinds of assessments and, and things like that um, to think about this. Because we are at a cusp point for learning where I think there's an opportunity to reinvent um, because this time has really shown up the level of inequity in our system. Um, and maybe also the irrelevance um, of yeah. some aspects of learning um, to most people's lives. So um, it definitely shined a very big spotlight on the messiness of yeah. what we've done to our country. Totally. And totally. I think that um, I think that the people that are showing up, I have hope they have a really big think tank. 
And I think that just our conversations um, may be included in that, I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, we're about to hit the 30 minute mark, but I wanted to ask um, one last thing. Um, Cause I feel like you have really great insight on so many things, but also just kind of where things are headed for you and the museum. Um, and so what would you, what is your piece of advice that you would give um, to somebody, an upcoming museum professional um, wanting to go into the museum field during these events, during the pandemic, during current events? So I would say that museums are inherently white, capitalist, patriarchal, white, white supremacist, uh, patriarchal structures and organizations. They are. That is how they were founded. That is how they continue to be. Um, They are imbricated in the system. So know that. Know that they are part of the system. I hope you, young professional wanting to enter the field, are are wanting to to break that system apart and, and burn the house down. Um, If you are, you are going to have to do a lot. You have to be emotionally resilient alongside your knowledge, your knowledge and um, learning and skills. You have to, you have to bring emotional resilience Mm -hmm. and you have to be willing to stand up for your values, but you also have to be able to take care of yourself and resisting white supremacy and capitalism and the hierarchies of power um, that exist in the museum field also looks like finding pleasure and rest. Like those are this, those, that is what resisting white supremacy and capitalism looks like. The, those momentums is to rest and find pleasure. So how do you do that? And how do you as a young professional create the museum as a place where that is the value, where the museum becomes a place for rest and pleasure um, and not a perpetuator of exclusion um, and, um, and a tool a tool that veils itself as something other than a tool of capitalism. Um, it veils itself in that way by calling itself a nonprofit, which is just code for a capitalist um, corporation that is less organized um, around uh, and around finances in its um, explicit frameworks, but implicitly is still tied to all of the same systems. And unfortunately, explicitly, um, those organizations are more transparent and actually sometimes have more ability to shift their, their like structures and um, funding and the ways that they distribute their resources without, um, whereas the nonprofits claim to be for the common good. So everything looks fine and they feel like they don't have to change anything. Mm-hmm. So I I would say like know all of those things, find your people who are going to be strong with you who are also not in museums. Um, and I would also say like consider how you can do deep good work rather than broad work because museums tend to want to serve everyone and conserve everything. Um, And instead, what can you do that's really specific um, that can be really meaningful? Like, what does it mean? Like for us, right? We're going to look at like, what do we do for 14 families um, that are new to Alaska rather than what do we do 
for 1400 summer campers, right? So like, how do we, how do you re, re help the institution shift its own values um, around deep rather than broad um, and, and, and meaning rather than optics. So I think that is, um, that would be my advice. Go get them, burn the house down. I could clap after <laughs> that was everything I could never put into words. So beautiful. And I think that the, I mean, the word that always sticks out for me in life and in museums professionally and in school is resilience. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're doing a fantastic job at that. And I don't know. (laughs) You are, you, you are, you encompass resiliency and yeah, thank you. That was the cherry on top and definitely something that I needed to light my fire yeah I mean the, the system will only change if people want to change it right mm-hmm. and um and there's there's too many people who don't want to change it for for it to die right so you have to, it's not just going to fade away right like there are way too many people who don't want to change it or maybe don't see that it needs to be changed which is its own set of problems um but but if you see it needs to be changed and you want to change it, you want to be a part of that change and get the hell in there and start, start lighting some fires, start tearing down the, tearing up the walls and floorboards. And I don't even want to see the same story. I, I joke, this is not like a, the way I talk about it. It's like, this is not home renovation. We are not renovating the museum structure. We are destroying the existing structure. And mm-hmm. I, like maybe the new thing is a hovercraft. Like maybe the new thing doesn't even have any of the same shapes or um, or like familiar materials of museums. Like what is that? What is that? I don't, I don't know. I'm like virtually the old guard at this point. So like people need to, even though I'm a young person, right? But like I've been in the field for over 10 years. Like mm-hmm. new people are gonna need to come in and show me like what the hell should I be doing that isn't this thing? Cause it, it's gotta, it's gonna be, I think there's so many resources there. Um, like yeah. we've gotta do, steward those resources well and it's gotta look totally different. So I have a lot of hope in people like you um, to teach me how to, how to be a part of the destruction um, and reimagining of the museum field. Yeah, don't worry, I hope to get in there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Totally. Thank you so much for your time. I can't thank you enough. Oh my gosh. Uh, You know, I mean, it's like, I would, there's something I would want more than to (laughs) support you and all of your endeavors and, um, and uh, yeah, in life and in, and in your education. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it is my greatest pleasure. It is the most fun part of my job. um, And something you said earlier, whenever you said like the biggest one of your biggest hurdles is um, putting these boundaries between being there for someone and supporting them yeah. um, through technology, but also, um, mm-hmm. you know, being their manager, being their support. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's something that I really appreciate about you and I is that we've been doing this for a few years mm-hmm. and we have this really distinct, okay, this is when we're going to be, yeah. you know, colleagues this is when we're going to be friends this is when we're going to be partners um and I think that that's like a really really like valuable skill one of the most valuable skills that you've um like given me and shown me is just 
this huge necessity to have these really clear boundaries um, with people and that you just succeed so much more whenever you have those things in place. Mm -hmm. And when you think of the word boundary, you think of, you know, pushed into a square, but it's um, like an opportunity for growth. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for that. And I'm always so thankful for our partnership and being colleagues and being friends. It's, it's really great. Yeah. Well, let me know how this goes. And um, if you need anything else, like you need some more quotable quotes as you're writing, just ping me and I'll. Yeah. Don't watch. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Bye. Bye.